Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Gina Bianca podcast, where we talk about life, business, entrepreneurship, the beauty industry, and beyond. My name is Gina Bianca, life and business coach, salon owner, educator, mastermind mentor, and your host of the Gina Bianca podcast. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the Gina Bianca podcast. I'm here with Jack Howard, who is an amazing colorist, an amazing mentor. I'm so excited to have him on the podcast to share a little bit about himself. And I'm sure this conversation will evolve into all things business, beauty, all of the above. I'm so excited to chat with you. I also have Bridget Reddington here. She's my brand manager and she has been chiming in with me on these podcasts and we've been having a really awesome time. So without further ado, welcome Jack. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks. My pleasure. Hi, Bridge. Hey, hey, what's going on everybody? Hey, Bridget. <laughs> Hi, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Well, I was just on your podcast, Jack, and we had such a good time. We had such a great conversation about the beauty industry, about salon ownership, about mentorship and education. It was such a great episode. I had a really good time. I loved it. I, I it's The first time I'd really gotten to speak to you, because I think that when you're on Instagram, you sort of see a piece of something, right? And that what they want to present. And I just found you so incredibly inspiring and and gung-ho and firecracker I was just like wow this woman's amazing Bridget aren't I inspiring and gung-ho <laughs> all of the above <laughs> I'm sure that's not easy to be around sometimes but I do like that in people I like the energy I like the directness I don't like fluff and words that fill spaces I, I like action I do too well we have a very blunt approach on this podcast and in this podcast anything goes okay yes. <laughs> remember I asked you I'm like can I swear on your podcast <laughs> this you know, podcast I, anything goes I'm sort of a bit weird about swearing because of course I, I swear like a trooper uh like a true Brit but I don't like to swear too much in public I think that just goes back to my original training where we you know we had to be real proper um but I do occasionally drop the f-bomb <laughs> I hope I don't today it will ruin my public persona <laughs> okay, well, we'll bleep it if you do. Yes. <laughs> no tarnishing here. I love it. Well, Jack, I don't know much about you. I mean, we got to chat on that episode and it was like kind of all about me. I would love to learn more about you, your background, what you do. So please, especially for, you know, anyone who's listening who may not know you, please share. Okay, cool. You know, it's a really long story, right? Because I've been this last year I celebrated 40 years in the industry full-time um yeah it's a long time and to have longevity in that and go from a sort of analog hairdresser to a, a successfully a relatively successfully digital one um I sort of look and I'm like wow how did you do that but um I, it started out to me really simply I grew up in a very small village in rural England and um you can tell by the accent of course and I wanted a Saturday job, basically. I wanted my own money. So money has been the driving force in my, my whole career. And um, it was either unpacking 20-pound bags of peas into five one-pound bags of peas, or it was on a checkout till, which I couldn't quite imagine myself doing. I, I think I'd probably throw everything at everyone. Or it was shampoo boy, Saturday boy, running and doing the lunches. And I met this 
group of people that I'd never been around before. I always felt like I never fitted in, um, even as a young child. But going into this shop on a Saturday, I was like, these are my people. And it was sort of pretty instantaneous. And, uh, you know, I, I left I left home at 16. Um, it was pretty crazy. And I think a lot of us in this industry have those crazy stories, right? And I, this was the job that was going to hold me long term. I mean, it was really poorly paid. It still is when you, you enter it. But um, it was £21 a week which you maybe $35 a week, something like that, really, really poor pay. But I liked it and I liked the people and the people looked after me. I mean, I had absolutely nothing. Oh my goodness. My notification just turned on, I'm so sorry. Let me, oh, let me you're just, fine. I thought I and um, huh, keep singing, I apologize. Anyway, you know, they bought me, somebody, this hairdresser bought me, I was her assistant and she bought me towels. I didn't have any towels, she bought me towels and she always used to give me a bit of money at the end of the week. and. And there was no way I could repay that. But what I realized was that throughout my career, I would pass that back. And it's something I've always done. I've always looked after my assistants going through. I know that it's difficult, but if I can help in some sort of way to make that part of their journey a little bit easier, it, it's something that pleases me. And it's it, that pay it forward thing. I, I left that small town and I went to London. And, you know, I was 20, 21. I was... Uh, gay in the 80s, a gay man, which was very different to how it is now. And when I got into London, I spent more time dancing on bar tops than I did really focusing on hairdressing. And it, but it was good for me because hairdressing was always there and it always paid the bills. And as I sort of discovered myself, I, I was always busy. I always turned up for work, didn't matter how hungover I was or anything like that. And I had fun, but I was very, very commercial. I wasn't one of those and if you think back before Instagram days, it you know, it was in the magazines, it was always this ethereal hair and really super creative, nothing commercial. And I was commercial. And I got offered a, I wanted to travel. And I got offered a job in the USA in 93. And I came and I was like, oh my God, how do they do this, right? Because I was sort of, you know, all these perfectly placed foils, a sea of them, you know, two hours later, I'd sort of wrap them all neatly. and. All these American colorists were like, get those foils in, get that done, move on to the next one, boom, boom, boom. And I was like shell-shocked. I didn't know what to do. But what I saw was that you could be commercial in a salon and you could make a fantastic income if you're in the right salon. And there was nothing wrong with it. And suddenly I felt more proud of who I was and what I did. And I had a, I was doing 24 to 28 clients a day. At that point, you'd have a load of assistance, shampooing and all that. But that was the expectation that you were that busy. Half heads in half an hour, full heads in 45 minutes. I was like, whoa. And um, stayed on being commercial, didn't really do a lot outside of, of that in the industry. And I got grandfathered in to, with L'Oreal Professional as an artist. And it's when I started doing balayage and I started teaching that in the USA in the 90s. And nobody had done that. And I just came to the table with the, this is what I do. This is what works for me. I work in a busy salon. I'm commercial. This is what people want. And it was finding that place in the education system within, within the USA that served me so well going back to the UK, where it, it was just the magic moment in 2010. Nobody was painting hair. Everyone was like I was in 93. 
And I suddenly came in an Englishman with a very American perspective about let's hustle, let's do it, let's make it happen. Yes, there are all these problems, but let's find a solution. And it was like, whoa. And a lot of people were like, oh, he's so American. He's so American. And it was sort of to, to diminish me in many ways. But the beauty press loved the fact that I could speak commercial. And I learned that in America the first time around. And that's when I started winning awards. And that's when I started getting to be really seen and got in all the magazines. So it wasn't really until my late 40s, early 50s that it really, the money had been there, but the accolades came with it. And it was a really nice piece of the story. Yeah, that's amazing. I think everyone wants everything now. Yes. I mean, to say that I've been in the industry 40 years and I didn't win an award or enter a category until I was in my late 40s, uh, people are like, really? And I'm like, yeah, the man you see now isn't the man that started. Damn. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I like kind of had to sit with that because I'm here at 22 years old and, you know, I still have my whole life in front of me with my career. So it's like reassuring for me, a younger, you know, person in this industry to know that like, I don't need to have all the accolades and I don't need to have everything together at this point in time. Like stuff like that can happen. Like I'm still finding myself here at 22. Yeah. It's like, but can I also tell you though, Bridget, I'm still finding myself, you know, five years ago, I'm was very different to how I am now. And it is this, I know we talk about it and it sounds so trite sometimes, the journey, but it's mm -hmm. so true. I mean, my goal is to be a better hair colorist, a better educator, a better man, a better everything. And if that is one step at a time and a few fails along the way, I'm okay with that most mm -hmm. days. <laughs> I love that about our industry that there's just always another level. Mm. It doesn't matter like, like where you're at right now. There's always another level. And it's inspiring to hear you say that in your 50s, right? Yeah, 50, I'm 57 this year. I'm 56 at the moment. Holy I'm 57 crap. this year. You look mm. good. All paid for with the American hustle. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you were talking about like you saw like 27 clients a day or something like with a bunch of assistants and shampoo people. I would thrive in that environment. You know, I, I loved it, loved it. And the only thing was <clears throat> that a lot of people said, well, you know, in, in LA, they're doing 40 clients a day. And in New York at the big salons, they're doing 35 a day. I had to apply everything. Now that the assistants would rinse and shampoo and get your trolley ready. And, you know, the machine behind you, because you're only as good as the people that you're with, right? And that's why it's important to appreciate everybody. But the machine was like, boom, you know, the client came in, you carried a bag, you bagged a bag up, you put that there, somebody got a coffee, somebody set up the trolley, you left one person to check on another and you just, you know, worked three or four chairs all day, no breaks. That's what um, I did starting out. Yeah. I like when I owned my salon, I had like five to 10 clients a day and it really depended on what they were getting done. But I did a lot of correction and transformation and full blonding. So it was usually around like four to five clients a day of like full on platinum cards, transformations, like yes. crazy hair color. And I ha always had a bunch of people working with me and I would not be able to see that many guests without them. Like I, no. in, in turn, I trained them. I taught them everything I knew. Yes, because that's the pay it back. And that's so important. And I think that's where sometimes 
it goes wrong when people are trying to hold on to everything. You can't have everything. And it doesn't matter who you give it to. Nobody can be you. Nobody replaces you. You are replaceable, but nobody replaces you and how you are. It's so true. And today I feel like there are not a lot of salons that have that machine anymore. And the industry does struggle with that because that machine that you were referring to is how people get trained. Yes. I, I think, you know, both. So I work in the UK as well as in the USA. So I have clients in both, which is, you know, it's nice. And I teach in both. But both salons that I work out of struggle to find assistants or assistants, you know, that want to do that. And there's also, I find, less camaraderie and teamwork. And I don't know why, because, I, you know, I'm always one, if I'm not busy, I'll fold a towel, I'll sweep up, I'll ask somebody if they want a cup of coffee. I mean, that's in, that's just my DNA training. And I think some people have missed that. And you actually miss a trick when you disappear into the staff room, the room of low earners, you know, or no earners. To be involved in that community is so important. It's not that you're being exploited, it's that you're being seen. And to be seen by other people is opportunity. 100%. A lot of my Mm. clientele got passed along to my assistants and it was because they felt comfortable to see my assistant. Yes, yes. When I left London, my assistant who the hardest working assistant in the world, his name's John Alfred. And he came to every shoot with me that he could possibly come to in his own time. He filmed in lockdown with me at the house and, you know, all of that. <clears throat> Sorry. And he, I I said to him, everyone go to him. You know, go to him, see him. You're going to be great with him. He's 40 years younger than me, do you know what I mean? But he's worked with me. He knows the nuances. He's got the skill set. He's different. And he's doing so well in London. And it, it just makes me smile when I think about that. Do you know what I mean? That he took every opportunity that there was, pretty much like I did. I took every opportunity that I was given. I never turned anything down. I, you know, and he's blossoming. And he's got a this huge journey to go on. But it's amazing. But I wanted to say, right, this has just reminded me, sorry, I can talk the socks off someone. It's... There's these conversations about my time, my value, all of this. When I got back to London, I was a piece of paper that said something. I had no clients there. The product companies weren't interested in me because I was very much an American product company. It didn't matter. So I hustled and I went to every hairdressing event I could get to, to go and meet people and say, hi, I'm Jack Howard, right? I mean, they're like, who the fuck is that? I'll F-bomb that. Who is that, right? But I, did, I went to everything I did models with people for nothing I did models for nothing I did press for nothing but it was nothing in that moment right you didn't get paid for it but what I got was I got this huge collection of stuff that was being showing me so the press you know all the press appointments are always free the models I used the models for other things it was like take the opportunity and don't just think about the short-term goal think about the big picture right? The big picture of where you want to be. We just had Nick Arojo at the studio and he kept saying something that like was resonating with me like the entire time. And it, it ties into what you're saying right now. He, he kept saying like, I was talking to him about something else before class started. And he's like, yeah, she didn't fit the vision. And I was like, mm. interesting. And he said the vision. And then it just stuck with me, like how he said it. 
And then on stage, he was talking about vision and vision and vision and vision. And it's like, he has such a clear vision for how he wants to be and what he wants his business to look like. Mm. And it's like, just because something isn't fitting what you want right now, like don't lose sight of the vision, right? Exactly. Don't lose sight of the, the goal, whatever the goal may be. And goals change. And visions can change. I think when you get more to sort of my age group, the vision is going to be different to from when it is at Bridget's. But, you know, we're allowed to change the story. We're allowed to change our mind. But where we want to go is we want to go forward and we want to be better. And we want to surround ourselves with people who inspire us and who are great and who are good at what they do, right? Mm -hmm. Role models. But seizing that opportunity. Mm. Very much. I've seized, I've had lots of opportunity, but not necessarily any more than anyone else. But I turned up and I was never the best colorist in the room. I've never been the best hairdresser in the room. I'm not the best public speaker in the room, but I turned up and I did it. And I did it and I did it. And I did it when other people were like, I can't be bothered today. Why do you think people do that? You know, life is full of shit, right? I mean, it all goes on around us. You know, what you we see on here is what we're presenting, but you have no control of everything, of everything else around you. And I think sometimes can't be bothered is you're tired. Can't be bothered is you think you're better than it. Can't be bothered is your wife or your husband is just acting up or the kids or there are lots of reasons that people can't do things, but I dislike the one that is, I'm better than that. Oh, I'm bored by that. You know, it's like, oh, I ha I, I know those press. I've been in that. It's like, no, I'll, I'll take everything. Everything that's offered to me. You want something? I'll give you a full page. I'll give you a full page of my thoughts and you can take one piece out of it, but you'll remember that full page. So I, if I'm going to commit to something, I've got to commit to it. Can't half-ass. You got to whole-ass everything whole ass and there's a lot of ass sat in this chair by the way so <laughs> I feel like that's such a huge red flag if you're around people and they're like above it like I worked in a lot of salons growing up where some of the salons were amazing and like people loved education but there were always those few people who couldn't be bothered or who felt like they were above it and it's almost like a repellent for me like mm. if you think that you're better than something or above something, it's like, a, I like can't even stand to be around that energy, especially when I'm as obsessed with this industry as I am. And I've always been, I've had my moments where I pull back and maybe I have stuff going on in my life, but I've always been like in love with this industry. And mm. throughout my career, I have encountered people who are just above it or who think it's stupid to, you know, enter an award or think it's stupid to do a model or think it's stupid to, you know, train this assistant or, you know, people who just aren't into it. And it's like, if you find yourself around those people, like you have to like wake up and be like, these people are not the right energy. It's not the right energy, but sometimes a lot of it is fear their own personal fear of learning something new, so not being good at it to begin with, of being seen in a different light, of not wanting to stretch themselves. A boss said to me many, many years ago, 
and I was complaining because everyone wasn't working as fast and as hard as me around me. And I want to, you know, I, I expected everyone to do it. And it resonated. And it was about Sam Walmart, um, who said that you need a one packer, a two packer and a three packer in a business. And I'm a three packer. I'm doing everything right. But then there's two packer that can do some of what I do and do it well. And there's the other person who can just do one thing at a time. And for a business to run really well, you need all three. And for an industry to run well, you know, there are lots of talented, talented hairdressers out there working on every high street and main street in little villages and hamlets who are so talented, but they don't get seen. Some of them don't want to be seen. They're happy leaving at five o'clock and going home and getting on with the rest of their life. And there's nothing wrong with that. Well, that's what I learned. There's nothing wrong with that. But what I don't want is to be around people who are trying to discourage me from being the best that I can be. Exactly. I totally agree with what you're saying. The one packer, two packer, three packer. That makes perfect sense. And in this career, you shouldn't feel guilty about whoever you want to be, whether you want to no. take everything on and go crazy <laughs> or whether you want to do a little bit here, a little bit there, or whether you want to be doing your work and focusing on other things. There should be no yes. guilt or shame around that. It's no. like, and you have like the the different ends of the spectrum you have people who like shame hustle culture and then you have people who like belittle people who don't want to hustle mm. right and it's like you yes. have to just realize that it's not about you no it's like it's mind not. your own business right and when you recognize that it's not about you and it happens to you at different stages of your life life just gets easier because suddenly then you can just focus on you instead of worrying about what everyone else is doing. And I think that is like the nirvana, really. So true. So true. I am so glad to be in an industry where we can do so much with a cosmetology license. This has been a theme with like a lot of the podcasts we've been doing and a lot of the work we've been doing. It's amazing how far you can go with just your license. When I grew up, um, oh my God, when I grew up, who was, I'm just a hairdresser. And I think for a long time that sat with me and that shaped how I talked about it. But I mean, I'm a podcaster, I'm a digital influencer, I'm even on TikTok. I do education live on my own independently. I do it with brands, I do it online. I, I mean, I am so much. I do so many things and I love all of it. Yet, I don't have a degree. I have a license. A license, and I trained at 16. And if I'd applied myself differently, maybe other things could have happened earlier. But you know what? It's been a great bloody journey so far. It's amazing. So far. And I went and got my California license recently. And I got my New York State license. Because I was like, you know, maybe there's an opportunity to do something in LA. So get it so I got it and everyone's like oh it's you know it's so much maintenance and I'm like do you just have to do what you need to do right but it's like I can happily go to LA and do some work if I wanted to or maybe one of my connections in London is in LA and they want me to do something you never know right and then I can be in New York doing something I'm like it's not difficult to get all these things in place and then it's not difficult to say somebody can you help me can I do something can I assist you can I work with you can I watch you you know it's like damn it's so good 
You just have to go step by step. Step up. That's a song. I'm going <laughs> to take you into a Whitney Houston classic there. It's but yes, so it's, it's step by step. You cannot, you cannot say, I want to be that person and I want it now. So, because that person's journey is different to yours and has taken so long for them. Very few people get instant success. You know, instant. What is instant anyway? I mean, instant to you, you've just suddenly discovered them. That person's had their own struggles and worked so hard for it. Well, I think with Instagram, because we have everything instant and TikTok, like everything is instant. Mm. We're almost programmed to expect something instant. And if it takes longer, we get in our head about it. Yeah, the head. stops us. The head is a very dangerous place to be sometimes if it gets messy up there. They say when you're in your head, you're dead. Oh my God, then I should have been dead about 50 times over. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So you work with a lot of brands now, right? Um, I work with Laura Professional USA, and uh, who is what I started out with. So it's sort of, I came back to them when I was, came back to the USA. And I'm, so I'm, a glo- I'm a, an ambassador for them. And I'm also an ambassador for Laura Professional UK and Ireland. And before that, I'd been a global uh, brand ambassador for short talk professional for blonde me but and then lockdown came and it was like you know in england they locked us down for nine months basically we couldn't work for nine months and that's where i was like okay get in front of the camera go live on on insta and that's how my following grew so to a, a, a healthy number because i was live twice a week but it was like it was it's funny everyone's like oh thank you for that and i'm like no gosh thank you for turning up and tuning in because I was going crazy in my head. Do you know what I mean? And it was like, those were the things that I looked forward to twice a week and that I could plan and do. And so thank you. Thank you to all my followers, everyone. Thank you to everyone who's listening today, right? Totally. I mean, you took something that was painful and you Mm. created some kind of meaning and habit out of it that was positive. Yes, absolutely. And it was great for me because, you know, the the brands like that they like the voice they like the engagement i mean you, it's not like the old days when i was uh um <clears throat> worked for brands and there was no instagram and you know facebook had just started and stuff where you really just work for the brand and they booked you the jobs and everything now it's more like you've got to make sure that you sell the classes out you've got to make sure that people want to know where it is and so there is more work to it um but it's still, for me, it's an awful amount of fun. I love every moment of getting out there. And, and you know, I think you've got to find the brands that you like, the brands that speak to you. So, you know, you could have, you could be posting six different brands on your Instagram, but do you really love them? Um, and so I, I've, ne- I've not monetized Instagram. I've not turned that into a money-making machine. I've made sure that my contracts don't have, that I have to do six posts a day or 12 posts a month. I didn't want that. I wanted to keep Instagram as mine. And if I want to talk about something on there, that's fine. And if somebody wants to support me on something or pay me to promote something, I'm only going to do it if I like it, if it speaks to me. That's um, interesting and that your contracts don't have anything about posting. That's amazing. No, I didn't want it. didn't want it at all. I mean, I do post. Obviously, I post about what I'm doing and why I've done it and all of that. But... I, you know, I think there's an awful lot of pressure to do 12 posts around a product a week. And sometimes I I don't have time for that. Yeah, I agree. I like it when I have to post, I make sure I have value. 
you know, and that I love the products and that even that the brands see the value of me sharing anything with my audience that I've worked so hard to build. You know what I mean? Like it's so important to me, my authentic following that I try to like really make sure that what I'm promoting and posting, I love and that the brands realize how important that is and how much value that holds. Because a lot of, you know, people think like, oh, it's just a post, but like, we've been building this audience for years now. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think, and people respect your opinion and like what you've got to say. And I think there becomes an awful lot of responsibility with that too that you're not just flogging a dead horse, right? It's not it's not Brick Lane in London where, you know, you're buying it whatever on the market. It's not some market stall at a, a fair. You know, it is, it says a lot, of, your page says a lot about you too, your personality, who you are. And I think that it's important that we keep that true and honest. Yeah, and sacred. Sacred, yes. Yeah, I like that. That makes it well, very magical. It's like the bridge to my audience. It is the bridge to your audience. It's absolutely. like yeah. literally, it's like my voice. And I think sometimes when what we post, you have to remember that. It's like... You know, it, it's really interesting because I have an American agency now that look after me that are, are opening doors to me that I couldn't open myself, and which is great. But when they took me on, they were like, you know, we don't know who you are on your page we don't know who you are yeah we know what you do and you're good at that and all of that but who are you who's jack howard and so uh, they sort of encouraged me to show more of my workouts in my stories to show more of my personality and my thoughts on things and i'm like oh my god i feel super exposed in this for the first time in my life right uh in, in that way but also people have really liked getting to know jack you know, talking uh, talking about, you know, some of the struggles, some of the joys, some of the things I like, besides just hair. And I, it's been a really, the last year has been really interesting on Instagram for me. Very different to how it's been. Well, it's used to be on Instagram. Like you had to have this like perfect grid. And like mm. in 2016, 2017, it was all about like the perfect shot. And in 2023, I feel like it's more important than ever to just have that authentic connection with your people. Well, you know, it's funny, isn't it? Because when, just before COVID came, I, my agency in the UK, they weren't an agency at the point, but they became an agency, they're brilliant. They said, we've got to do more. So it was IGTV. And so we did two filmings from start to finish on models and then turned it into um, hair hacks. And they were like 40 minutes long, right? That's before Reels started. And nobody else, nobody was really doing that in the UK. And so that was great for me. And then when Reels came, we started cutting stuff out because there's so much content to do that. But now when I go on Insta, a lot of it looks the same, That it's the formula. So you've got the, and I'm guilty of it too, right? Chasing, chasing, chasing. But you've got the, the hook, You've got the how you did it. You've got the finish all in six seconds. If you can do that, I find it really hard. And then all this captioning. And um, but it's very difficult for me to sometimes see. I used to recognize who it was by the post. But now it's like everything looks the same. And I'm like, if I'm bored by that, other people must be bored by that too. And so I've tried not, I've tried to mix it up more and to 
do something different and not worry about getting it viral and going in, you know, three or four million views or anything, but about speaking to the people that actually follow me and focusing, refocusing back on them, not trying to get more followers. Easy to say when you've got 240 something thousand and you're verified, right, that I'm not worried about followers. But I try and tell everyone when I'm in a classroom, don't worry about that. Speak to your target audience. You only need 400 clients, right, to be a fully booked five day a week stylist. Speak to those 400 and their friends. Keep them coming back. Totally. Bridget, what do you think? You're the content queen. I know. Um, So hearing that, I mean, I agree with you, Jack, that it's kind of like a formula now at this point in terms of like, all right, like you said, you have your hook, you have your how you did it, you have your call to action. And, you know, like all these digital marketers and digital content creators now are like pushing that. It's like, oh, here's my step-by-step. Here's this step-by-step. And it's true. Like it becomes robotic, um, to a degree at the end of the day, because here's this system, you know, and everyone's following the same system, you know, um, a lot of the videos that are being pushed, like you want to mimic like what's doing well. So it's like, yeah, I mean, eventually, you know, you do enough of that and then you are going to see, you know, kind of a rinse, wash, repeat type deal of like the Mm -hmm. same. And I find it very interesting um, that you brought up that you almost can't tell if it's like who's posted is anymore. Cause for me, that's like huge. It's like, you need to have a signature on your post. So people know that it's your brand and it's your content that they're seeing. And it's like, is it now that people are just so like copying one style? That's why it's happening that way. Or is it just like, like, why is that? Like, I always have to make a cameo in your videos. Like you always have to show yourself in any video. You got to make a cameo, like show up in the video and show your face within the first few seconds. You know what I mean? Like show yourself. I've seen people do that. Um, I've seen a lot of stuff that looks very, very much the same. And I think everyone's struggling with how do I grow? How do I, you know, as uh, how do I gain more followers? How do I gain more traction? But then maybe that's the people that I'm following too and who are all in chasing the same dream, possibly. Mm-hmm. Um, and also people are better at it now than they ever have been. Um, but I do think that if it looks like daytime TV on there and every channel looks pretty much the same, that I'm going to turn off and I'm like, okay, if I'm turning off, other people are going to turn off. How do I make it interesting for my audience? How do how do I reinvent? And how do you reinvent a teased highlight? How do you reinvent a French balayage? How Thank do you, you reinvent a glossing? How do you reinvent a 360 customer experience, right? I mean, you can't, but you can tell it the way that you do it, possibly. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's, it's like you have to put your personal spin on it. And I think like mm. in the past, like with the perfect grid, it was almost like you never post anything of yourself or anything of your family or anything of your hobbies. It was just, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? And I know on TikTok, it's like really good to have a niche. Like you have to have like your, you know, thing that you do. But I mean, my favorite accounts, like I see a little bit of everything and I feel like I know them. Yes. I just feel I think- like I know them. I feel like I, we're catching up when I'm watching something of theirs. I think that's why my agent, my American agency, sort of said to me, "Okay, you need to, you need to be on it, 
we need to see your clothes. We need to see your bracelets. We need to see who you are a little bit more. Um, But, you know, with TikTok, it's funny, right? Because TikTok is like, I've got to get a hang of it. I've got to get on it. I want to stay relevant on it. But, you know, sometimes I'll do, I've been doing these little talk to cameras about some of the horror stories of my London experience, not naming names or anything, but like, it happens to me too, right? It's, it happens to all of us, these situations you get in. Some of them have done really, really well. And then I did something the other week from an old, just an old paint. And it went and got 3.2 million views. And I'm like, how did that happen? I mean, I just think you have to reimagine your content and what you're doing. And I'm definitely less filtered on, um, on TikTok. Um, and I'm trying to be a little bit less filtered on Instagram too. I mean, I'm, just like, oof. I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. When I first started out on Instagram, I just spoke directly how I talk and I swear a lot and I know it's not professional, but I always looked at my audience as like my, my people, like I never looked at them like a brand. I always looked at them. Like, these are the people who I'm talking. Like I would talk to you directly the way I would talk to you if you were assisting me, like, you know what I mean? Or if we were like working together and it's not to say I'm like super obnoxious, but just my voice is very like. You know, a lot of people will comment. They're like, I read this in your voice. Like they uh, comment that. And that is like, so it's like the best compliment because that means they hear me. Yes. You You're seen. Mean? You're seen. Exactly. And they connect and they're like, they, it's like a, a thing. And I think the podcast helps with that too. Cause I never shut up, but you know, the podcast and like all of the videos and things that I put out there and like how I consistently just talk like normal like people have related to my voice and they've related to me and a lot of brands and a lot of people and a lot of bosses and everything they always like tried to like steer me away and polish me even more and I'm just like I get it but like I'm not talking to you I'm talking yeah. to my people like leave me yes. alone <laughs> yes I, absolutely it, it feels like now that I'm doing more of myself on on insta that I have a lot of people who have, um, who are more my age group that you know that necessarily haven't been spoken to before because it's a it's a very it's not particularly inclusive our industry about age and so there's somebody my age standing up saying hey I'm still here I'm still doing all of that and I'm talking about my health goals and the fact that I quit drinking and you know all of that and there's a lot of people that are like that on on my Instagram feed and it's important that for me personally that I speak to them and and nurture them as they nurture me. Are you open to me asking you why you quit drinking? I don't drink either. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've always drunk. I mean, I probably had my first drink when I was about eight. Um, and it very an English culture, lots of drinking. I was six foot three at 12. So I was the one that was sent to the pub, um, to the bar to get the drinks. No ID checks or anything. But I had um, in my... There was a period in London when it was so, so difficult for me. Like I was hitting walls everywhere I went and I was determined to push through. And I quit working out and I quit eating properly, but I drank more and ate more junk food. And I went to a detox in, it's very much a first world problem, right? So I went to Thailand to a, a detox camp where there was kickboxing and you didn't eat, you fasted for 14 days and all that stuff. And I came back much healthier and fitter, but in lockdown, in the second month of lockdown, the second the second lockdown, which, you know, of the nine months, I was drinking too much. And I knew that we were going to be moving back here. 
And I knew that I was going to have to start a new company and start again in different ways. And I, I was pretty, you know, unhappy and just drinking way too much. And I was like, this has got to stop. You're never going to get through this. So it's like, to begin with, it was like, let's stop for a month. And then it became, I've stopped for a year and now it's two, two and a bit years. And I don't, I don't dislike it at all. I, I like being not drinking. I feel I'm a better person for it. I feel that I work better. I can, I can do the long haul flights and get going. Um, I like it. I'm fitter, healthier. And, I, you know, I've got my age. I'm in the last chapter of my life in many ways, right? I've got 20, probably 26 years until I'm 82. Then that puts it in perspective a bit better. I want to enjoy those 26 years. I want them to be the best they can possibly be. And drinking doesn't fit into that for me. I totally agree. Same here. I mean, I feel so much better not drinking. And I feel like a lot of people are not drinking anymore. Like there's definitely a culture mm. shift. Yes. The, 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 it's not necessarily the alcoholism. It's, you know, it's just the decision not to drink. And I, some people get confused about that, but there's no shame in either. There's no shame in, in it. And we are bombarded with this drug, booze, constantly and yes it does suppress stuff for a minute and it does make you feel better for a second but after that it doesn't and it, it's a depressive and it slows you down and uh you gain weight on it and it's a waste of calories and i'd rather have a piece of chocolate i feel like now with weed being legalized in so many places and being like recreational that that's going to be the next thing that kind of comes in it does it's like a motivation killer alcohol weed all of these things oh. that are so easily available and i've got nothing against anything i don't really care but it's just interesting that like society we face that struggle and that temptation and there's mm. like certain things we can just eliminate from our life and it will make it a whole lot easier so weed, right? I don't like the smell of it. And I certainly, I mean, it's it numbs you, right? It's another number. So it's another downer. But the feelings that you have, whether they're shit or great, don't disappear because of al with alcohol and marijuana or cocaine or crystal meth or any of that stuff. They're still there. And when you quit, you quit the drug, not the feeling. What quitting those things allows you to do is to look at that shit and to start working on it if you haven't already it just makes it clearer it doesn't make it any easier it's true because we usually do all of that to numb out those feelings and then yes. they're there in full force i remember when i stopped drinking and i went uh i, I also went to uh into a recovery situation and i remember the first like five days of me being there i had this intense chest pain mm intense chest Anxiety. pain. I never, thank you. I never had chest pain ever in my life, but I had mm. let all of these emotions and all of these feelings build and build and build and build. And then when I went there, like my first five days of like getting all that out of my system, it was this intense pain. And they, they said it was anxiety. Where are you yeah. feeling the pain in your body, your chest, in your heart, fear, pressing anxiety. And I was like, Oh my um, God. And they put pain, me on medication for pain. a while. They put me on medication for a while. I ended up not needing it um, ongoing, but to get me through it, they put me on medication. And when the mm. medication, anxiety medication worked, I was like, oh, it's there. Like, that's what it is. It's not just me being crazy. It's like, this is like yeah. something going on in my body. Mm. 
yeah i mean life is life can be wonderful but it also is difficult but the stuff that you're dealing with i've found it's better to deal with it than to push it to one side and um you know everyone's going to have a different story on it and everyone's going to be impacted by many different things but for me personally not drinking not you know drugs not my cup of tea i'm fine i'll take some advil and a Tylenol PM when I need to sleep properly. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, we were talking about it. Well, I was talking about it with my therapist. My therapist and I are actually doing a course on this and I'm so excited for it. But we were talking about how even good times, like good things can lead to stress. And yes. even though everything in your life is going great, or if everything is positive, it could still lead to that stress, which still has the same effect on the body and your body still needs the same amount of rest. So success can be stressful, right? Because suddenly you have to perform. So if you're working for a brand that can be stressful, even though that's, that was the goal to work for a brand or to be successful in a salon, but suddenly you've got all these people you've got to keep happy. Stress is always there, right? But it's how do you manage your mindset, which is like a buzzword at the moment. But so for me, I always get up early because I like an hour with nothing on, just me, my coffee, my food. I always try and get to the gym once a day or twice a day. That helps me. I've started doing some yoga thing, which I'm absolutely, I know you love it, right? And I'm absolutely like a Muppet in the yoga room, but I give it a go. And you know what? I'm so focused on trying to get into that pose that my head's clear. And my recent one is boxing. So I'm like, yeah, like, let's, if nothing else works, boom, that really works for me. Hit it out. So, uh, you know, there are lots of ways to kind of work on the stress and work on the anxiety and to acknowledge what is going on in your life, I have found is really important. Um, but, you know, nobody has the answer. The answer lays within you, right? Totally. Well, Jack, where can they find you to follow you? Ah, well, that's an easy one. So it's Jack Howard Color, and I've always spelt it the American way, C-O-L-O-R, because more people spell it that way than they do the English way with a U. I'm on um, all the podcast platforms. I'm on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. I'm here in Washington, D.C. You can find me in London. You can find me on courses. If I'm at an event, come and say hello to me. I love meeting people. I'm not one of those that like, oh. I mean, I love meeting people. So if you see me, come say hi. I love it. This was such a great conversation. I'm so glad we got to get to know you better. And I'm so glad that you had the time to share, you know, a little bit about you. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I was like so excited about coming on today and being with you. And it's like, I'm like, I have to meet you in person. I'm like, you're on my list, my hit list. God help you. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> we'll definitely meet this year somewhere. Yeah, we got to. We got to be out and about, right? I love we it. We have to. Awesome. Bridget, thank you so much as well. Yes, thank you. It was a pleasure. Awesome. Right then. All right, everybody. We will see you on the next episode. Be sure to follow Jack. Be sure to follow his podcast. We just did an episode together and it was amazing. Go listen to that. Be sure to follow him on all of his platforms and we'll see you guys on the next one.